Welcome to Tad Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. I'm the host, Tad Dickel, and I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Zach Parsons. Zach, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, gosh. Where do you want me to start, Tad? Back in 1980? (laughs) So uh, you and I both share the same birth year. I was uh, born in Mesa, Arizona, which is Spanish for table. Hopefully people filled in the blanks of that as they were listening. And uh, came to Evansville, Indiana for the first time in 1999 as an intern learning to become a pastor. And that was sort of my first foray into professional leadership, if you will. Did that in various capacities for about five years and then bounced around a few other different careers in real estate, the mortgage industry for a while, did some teaching, and then sort of found out that I really enjoyed psychology. I actually taught a psychology class and thought that that would be kind of an academic pursuit that I should pursue further, uh, obtained my master's degree in organizational psychology, tried my hand at consulting and marketing myself as a consultant within that field uh, around the time that social media was beginning to really pop. And in that process, learned a lot about social media and digital marketing and those things. And did a little bit of digital marketing, and in that process met my now wife and business partner, and we own a, a growing coffee company. We have three, almost four coffee shops, uh, all in the Evansville, Indiana area. Great. Well, thank you for the introduction. Tell me, what has influenced your uh, style of leadership? The first thing that comes to mind is uh, failure slash experience. When I think of examples that I have experienced of leaders, folks leading me intentionally or unintentionally, and bringing those back to mind as I find myself in a position or a role of influence of another person, often somebody younger than me, or maybe there's some sort of professional connection to where our job relationships would provide an expectation of leadership on my end that I try to empathize and put myself back into their position of, you know, where are they right now? What do they sort of need to know in this situation? And is there a way that I could be helpful in sort of explaining how I may have done things in the past, whether it's failure or experience, and share that with them in that context? It was interesting to hear you say that your, your role as a pastor kind of was your first experience into leadership. How did that shape the leader you are now? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things about the role of a pastor, but I think one of the expectations that that people have of a pastor, or if they're in a church context of their pastor, is leading by example. They don't expect their pastor to ask of them anything that that pastor isn't willing to do or be or practice themselves. And so it puts a lot of good pressure and responsibility on that pastor to walk the walk, if you will. And so in in that sense, I haven't experienced myself in in the best circumstances 
trying to preach something that I, I am not doing myself. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense because one of the programs that I've used before is, is the Leadership Challenge, and they talk about one of the practices of exemplary leaders is model the way or really being the example for the people around you. Now, how would you like describe your approach to leadership or your philosophy of leadership? I think I have a fairly broad approach and description of leadership and that it can happen inside the context of even just a, a dyad relationship of, of two people. And it, it doesn't necessarily need to be something at a large organizational level or even leading a team necessarily. It could just be between two people. And I once heard it defined as simply influence, that leadership is influence on somebody else. And even just for a moment or just for a specific context, somebody else has influenced at least one person on how to take the next step. And it could scale as, as big as you know a, a country, a nation, a world, but uh, it really just comes down to influencing at least one other person. And I like that description of, of leadership because I, I think that anybody can lead, anybody can be a leader, mm. and we often think of leaders as ha- somebody that has a title or you know some sort of official capacity as a leader, but really, we all have the ability to influence those around us in positive or, or negative ways. Tell me then about your, your leadership. So you said you co-founded a coffee shop. Tell me about your leadership there in that type of a business. Yeah, gosh, that's great. And it's something that we, my wife Jessica and I, think about and dance with kind of all the time. And I, I do sort of, with her at least, use that dancing metaphor. And maybe traditionally you would have the idea of the the man leading the dance or leading the woman in, in, in our you know relationship. But we take turns. And we sense often, and sometimes we have to sort of negotiate it explicitly and say, okay, you know, in this meeting, you really need to step up and sort of lead this discussion or vice versa. And the other one needs to sort of lead it. And we are aware that for our team, they respond to us differently. And again, going back to influence, the person within our our leadership structure that's going to be able to provide the best influence for whatever it is that that needs to be discussed and led at that point will happen. And we don't always get it right. And sometimes we step on each other's toes because we can't always map everything out, you know, ahead of a meeting or ahead of an opportunity, a teachable moment or something like that. But we do always come back and reflect on it. And we, we have a saying between the two of us called, let's look at the tape which is where we make an attempt to try and objectively observe what just happened. Like, you said this, these were your words, or you did this next, or I perceived you doing this next. And in that sense, we're always trying to get better at how we might uh, lead each other or the team. But definitely communication and talking about it is key for the two of us leading together. I'm sure that's a interesting dynamic to work with the same person that you go home with at night. I'm sure it it is a dance in many ways. Yeah. 
And we we love it. We've found that one of the things that has strengthened both our relationship as as a couple, as as lovers, and also as co-leaders is hiking together, like actually moving together. So we're both forward facing, facing the same direction, taking turns, who's in front, who's in back, who's walking the dog. And the conversations will just start to flow. And we we sense when the beginning of the walk is happening and when the end of the walk is happening, if there's a commitment that needs to be made at the end, we sort of sense that and say, okay, well then I'm going to take this forward after this walk. And when we open the walk, we say, is there anything that we're kind of not on the same page on that we need to sort of open up? And it just affords us a lot of opportunities, a lot of time to discuss things that might be messy. And when you've got a team of over 50 people and all sorts of different kinds of customers, there's a lot of chances for things to get messy. I think it was Steve Jobs who they said would like famously have most of his, uh, mm. you know, many of his important conversations like with another individual on a walk. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I, I don't know what the science is. Maybe, maybe it's something that, that you've researched or Maybe just that anecdote is is enough to show that there was some wisdom in that. I'm not aware of any research around it, but I, I have to think it might put people's minds at ease and it could relieve some of the tension that can take place in like a typical office space or like with a desk in between people or, or something like that. Your industry, if you think about like the food and hospitality industry, uh, kind of famously struggles with turnover of employees. How have you addressed that? And like, what role does leadership play in in terms of like retaining employees, attracting employees, and you know, developing them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for us, interestingly, and and don't want to come off as as too prideful in this, but but we have not experienced that as a company. We have applications come in every day. We never actually have to ask for applications to come in. They just come in every single day. And so that has been a testament to the team and how they are perceived by customers and that it's an environment, a culture that these potential applicants want to be a part of. And I hope that some of that has stemmed from some of the intentionality that we have had about how we approach their roles. And when we first started the company, we didn't know really what sort of strict job descriptions we would be having to give to people because we'd never done it before. So the way that we approached it was in terms of spaces or, or domains of the actual physical coffee shop. So we had an espresso bar area in the front. We had a cafe area off to the side and we had a kitchen area into the back. And so we would hire people and let them know that, hey, at this time when you were clocked in and there would be two to four people clocked in at a time. So these these sort of roles and, and domains would have to vary a little bit. Say, you are responsible for this area for this amount of time. And that was it. And by hiring people who are high in wanting to be responsible we found that they started to learn what it would take in all sorts of different situations to take best care of that area. And through that, some habits started to form and some best practices started to be revealed that we could then eventually codify into a job description as 
the eventual turnover and growth would happen with with these people moving on to to different roles on usually really good terms. So it sounds like you're empowering them to own that space and to be solely responsible for the good and the bad that might happen in that space. Absolutely. And that was the word that we would sort of use as well as like really own this. But there's another term that I've sort of picked up on recently that I also like, and that's the idea of a steward. And so, I mean, I think of Lord of the Rings and, you know, the steward of Gondor and just this idea. It's it's kind of like ownership, but obviously we, we don't pass over ownership to our employees, you know, while we're open, but they are sort of stewarding the space on our behalf. And to the extent that they understand and resonate with that, that there still is sort of a high level of ownership in that moment, we get great results. And, and that helps them to sort of practice for whatever they're going to do next. And we talked to them about that. What are your goals? What do you want to grow into? What sort of career path do you want to develop? And how can you practice that here in this domain for this number of hours and have it be a win-win? It's pretty amazing that you say that you haven't had many issues in terms of like attracting employees or retaining employees. And I, I hear from so many business owners, executives, managers right now, how they have such a hard time attracting people to to work at their their business or even nonprofit. And I think a big piece of it is leadership and really creating a, a workplace and a culture that people want to work in, that they feel like they're treated with respect, that they're appreciated, that they're valued. And one of the reasons I wanted to create this podcast was to emphasize to leaders that they have the ability to really influence and impact the experience of their employees. And they have the ability to really be what attracts somebody to come to that company and stay. Mm. I, I like the way you just phrased that because there's a commonly touted expression that people don't quit jobs, they quit managers. And if like you just sort of flip that around the other way of like people don't get jobs, they seek out good managers that they want to spend time with and, and work with. So yeah, I would definitely affirm that. Switching gears, I wanted to talk a little bit. I, I know that you've also been involved with some volunteer efforts and have led some efforts like TEDx Evansville. You've been involved with nonprofits and would love to hear your approach to leadership, maybe when you're leading non-employees or volunteers. What what does that look like? Is it the same approach or is it is it slightly different? Yeah, I actually do think it is different. There, there is something different to the goals of a nonprofit that's trying to achieve a mission or a community initiative that's that's trying to to put on an event or 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 something like that. When it comes down to business, and the the goal has to be on some level revenue, to, just to be able to keep the machine running. That that is what is sort of necessary. And so it's a lot more clear sometimes, hey, I am an employee, I have expectations for compensation for my time, and to the extent I can articulate my value to the company's mission, which in this case is making money, I want to share in that, and it's kind of cut and dry. When it comes to a mission, a nonprofit organization perhaps, where you're working with volunteers, 
it's a lot trickier to know where someone's where you should expect someone to be able to give of their time. And it may even come down to that other larger issue of, well, if your job requires this amount of time from you, how can I then expect you to put in more energy and time on top of that? Then you put in taking time away from their family. It, it, it just makes it a lot harder to be on the same page as to how much you can expect from somebody. Is there an approach that you use to like motivate and inspire and engage volunteers that's any different from employees? Honestly, I don't think so. And and maybe I have this wrong, but I tend to be a lot more hands-off in leadership on experiences like that. It's more respecting the person and the decisions that they have made, the amount of time or energy that they have allotted but also trying to make it clear of here are the elements of this project that are your responsibility. So again, going into like, there, here's the domain. We can use TEDx as an example. Maybe we've got somebody who says, all right, I really want to be in charge of getting the word out and doing marketing. Or I really want to be in charge of selecting the speakers. So we just say, okay, we are in agreement. We're on the same page. It's clear for the speakers to get selected. You have to put energy towards that. Will that take you two hours? Will that take you 20 hours? I don't know, but you're responsible for it. We, as this leadership team, are all expecting you and will support you when you ask for it. But at the end of the day, this is what you are responsible for producing. So go and get it done. What setbacks or is, is there one specific one you can think of that you've experienced that's influenced you as a leader? setbacks. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I think it's when you have someone who is maybe very interested in being a part of something, but whether or not their skills yet match what is needed for the organization to be able to come in and say, hey, this isn't a good fit. No one's in a job. Again, you can point to things maybe like revenue that are very clear indicators of someone's poor performance. When it's a matter of a volunteer effort, maybe it's two hours, maybe it's 20 hours, 200 hours, whatever. If you don't have those clear markers of what success looks like, and even if you do, it could be something where they respond and say, well, I'm, I'm still working on this, or how can you even expect that much of me? I'm, I'm a volunteer. Shouldn't you just be appreciative that I'm sort of giving anything to this project? So those are some of the thoughts that come to mind when, when you ask about setbacks is just knowing how to have a conversation with somebody once a commitment has been made, because you can't really fire a volunteer. <laughs> and sometimes you kind of wish you could. I remember a, a mentor of mine talking about volunteers and I, I think it was, I was working on a project with a church and they, they said, that's, it's one of the hardest groups of people to manage because you can't fire a volunteer. Hmm. As you think about leadership, has there been a, any kind of specific failures that you have experienced that have influenced you or helped make you more of the leader you are today? Yeah, I I'd say for me I've 
I've been learning over the years, there are times when I can be a little too personal, if you will. Like I I look at, like lines are very blurry for me. If we're doing something and we're spending a lot of time together, there's a part of me that says, well, we should enjoy this and we should enjoy each other. And this, this is how we're choosing to wake up and spend our day. So let's do it with, with all of us. And so that can lead to maybe being too personal or chummy, you know, with, with people, maybe I should draw stricter lines, but there have also been times to where, because those lines have been blurry in occasions of, of crisis or where a personal touch might be needed and you can maybe empathize with somebody, that's exactly what was needed on a human level. So I'd say even if that is a negative for my leadership style, I'm okay with it because for me, it sort of fits my mission of being a better human. And if I had to sacrifice being a leader to be a better human, I would do it every single time. I think that's a that's a really common challenge that many, many of us in, in leadership are constantly trying to balance because... You know, one end of the spectrum, we have those people who say, hands off, I'm going to keep everybody at an arm's length. I'm the leader, I'm the manager, you are a subordinate, and we're going to keep a business relationship. You know, then on the other end of the spectrum, we have those who may cross those lines in terms of being too close with their direct reports to the people around them. And I think there's there's that balance that we have to strike because one thing that like the Gallup engagement research looks at is do people feel like somebody cares about them as a person? Mm. And an empl- an engaged employee, people want to feel like they're not just a number that somebody cares about them as a as a person. And so I think it is really important for leaders to develop these relationships. And I think for me, over time, I've probably gotten better at trying to set boundaries Mm. and to to really say, I want to have a relationship with people. I want to know their kids' names and their spouses' names and what they enjoy outside of work and what they're really passionate about, but then recognize where does the boundary need to be. And that's something that it may be different for different people that we lead. And it, I think it's something that we all have to reflect on and, and kind of figure out along the way. As you're describing that and, and figuring out along the way, I have been recognizing that as our company has grown, that that has had to transition. And you think of something like Dunbar's number, where we can sort of maintain about 150 relationships, give or take, at a time. And you add in all of your non-work relationships to that as well. And if you want to have a relationship-focused leadership style, that's going to have a natural limit to it. And so as we've grown, it's become less about me and my wife being able to have closer relationships with all of our employees as to sort of developing almost a mid-management tier, an operations team and a team of managers alongside of them, that those are the folks that we really are intentionally focusing on developing and that they, in their new sort of domains, each different location, 
can do the same thing for those quote unquote under them. If you're looking at it like a hierarchy. I think that's a great approach and a great segue kind of into another question because the research on leadership suggests that the most important leader to any employee is their direct supervisor. Mm. And so often I think a supervisor might think, well, really the most important leader in the company is the CEO or the owner or the executive team. And they often downplay their important role as a leader. And so I might ask you, you know, what have you done to help develop those leaders at a different level in the organization? Yeah, that's actually something that we've really been focusing on a lot recently. And it, and it's a recognition of the limitation that I was just describing about we can't really have those relationships with everyone on the team. So in those management and operations meetings, we will explicitly empower and encourage those leaders to say, this is something that we're sort of doing company-wide, and we would like you to lead it amongst your team. It's going to come from you. Questions are going to come to you. We believe that you can answer those and lead this initiative within your group effectively. And we're here to support you. And you know, you're not out there all on your own. But we look actively for those opportunities for those managers to believe in themselves. We remind them that we believe in them. That is why they got there. And it's it's a fairly constant reaffirmation of they have been promoted into this role for a reason. That's probably another thing that would be worth mentioning is that all of our management team are people who have been promoted from a position of being an entry-level barista for us. So all of our management operations, they have done everything that they are asking their team to do and leading their team about. And that has ended up being a very strong culture builder and leadership uh, support system for us. How many employees are there? We've got about between 50 and 60 part-time and full-time employees. So your ability as a leader is hitting a point where it really is getting more difficult to know know everybody's names and their backgrounds. Absolutely, yeah. We joke we just hit our fifth Madison. So we have five Madisons on the team. And I think we have two Madison Bs. So we can't even know people by just their last initial anymore. So that that's where we we do need those people to be able to to step up and and lead and it just it's a, it's a really nice win-win situation for them to have an opportunity to lead a, a smaller group as well and invest into them. I love that approach of developing other leaders and really being intentional about that. I want to segue into a conversation about your business and about your approach because I think it's important to think about how our leadership influences our organizations. And I'm kind of curious to think about, you started a coffee shop. Hmm. There's no shortage of places to get a cup of coffee in this area. And yet you thought it was a good idea and it's grown and it's it's taken off. So what do you think is your your competitive advantage or what differentiates you from getting a cup of coffee somewhere else or 
It's interesting. The, we just did our most recent newsletter. We do a monthly newsletter. It's actually based off of the lunar cycle. So anytime there's a, a new moon, we do a, a newsletter around you know events that are that are sort of going on. And I commented to my wife after I published it, I said, I just did a whole newsletter and we didn't talk about coffee once. <laughs> and we will sometimes joke to each other and, and to others that we're really a people company that happens to sell coffee. And we have other products. We have, we have food and we have merchandise. And we do sort of try and keep it focused on people. And that the, the coffee is a part of that. The space is a part of that. There's a unique role of coffee and coffee shops just in our culture as, as a function of building a relationship, whether it's professional or personal. You could meet somebody on the, the street and have a, a spark fly in terms of business or spark fly in terms of romance, or maybe it's an old friend and the next step might be, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. And so being able to provide that space for people and focus on that way, it's still having good quality coffee, making sure that you know your product itself in, in the coffee shop is, is of high quality but really just paying attention to that experience. I think that's our differentiating factor is when we will come in, the question that we will ask, I'm talking about my wife and I will say, were people delighted? That's the first question out of our mouth. Were they delighted? And if they were delighted, then we can assume that the product was, was good enough. We can assume that the space was clean enough. We can assume that the employees were friendly enough or whatever those other sort of expectations that someone might've had before they were delighted. And if they weren't delighted, then we say, okay, where was the, the breakdown in their experience? So it's, I think, a real focus on the experience of the customers and their expectations of what might happen while they're there. And that's been my experience at Honeymoon has been, it really feels like a place that people want to go to and they want to spend time there. Mm. It, it's not just a in and out, I ordered it on my app. And I'm going to leave, but it's like, it's a place where you can go to get some work done or to have a meeting or, you know, have a good conversation with people. So that's... Can I tell you a a quick anecdote that happened today? I was having a call with somebody. I was on a run, which is apparently something that I'm doing more and more lately, moving while having a call. And they were at Honeymoon and they had just left someone else who was, happened to be blind, visually impaired and was waiting for their drink to be brought to them and stopped this gentleman and said, this place is amazing. I have heard so many different kinds of positive conversations, deals getting done, relationships being explored. This must be the hub of Evansville. And they relayed the story to me because they knew that I would love it. And I did. And I was like, wow, good. We hit the mark today. We hit the mark with that customer at that time. And that's what we hope can happen, you know, as much as possible with the expectations people bring for having an experience. What is the, the future of, of Honeymoon? We haven't been all that much of like a goal setting company in terms of we want to hit this number of locations or this amount of revenue. We've been more open to the opportunities as they've presented themselves. The growth from one location to two came from a customer who had approached us about opening up her own 
coffee shop. She actually caught me at one of my, like a bad day, said, hey, what advice would you give me if I wanted to open up my own coffee shop? I said, don't do it. (laughs) And I said, I'm sorry, that was a reflex. Tell me more about your idea. Okay. And so we talked and it turned out that it was less for her about the creative side of developing a brand and an identity and more of just the day-to-day of being responsible for a coffee shop. And we said, well, since we've already done all of the work on the creative side, if you just want to manage a shop and, and you sort of vibe with what we've been doing, perhaps you taking over a shop with our brand would be the next best step. And so that was not a part of our plan, but it became what we learned from that of how to grow led to us having the confidence of when our third location became available we pursued it and had confidence, which has now led to when the fourth location kind of became available, it meets a need in our market. And I think we'll just see what's available, what needs we feel, and the the capacity that we have within our team to grow therein. I think so many times when people start a business, they haven't always asked themselves, like, what problem are they trying to solve or what opportunity are they seeking that people need or want. And as a result, their businesses aren't successful. So is that kind of what you would say the need you filled was like this place where people you know, have a quality experience together? Or Yeah. If I'm being honest, I think our very first location just came down to more believing in she wasn't my wife at the time, but in Jessica's vision and just believing in her and believing that she had a unique enough vision that she needed an opportunity to explore that and really find out what it took to be successful in it. Whether or not there was a need for it could be debated. In fact, the space that we went into was previously a coffee shop, which had failed. So sort of by definition, the the market had sort of decided that a coffee shop in that location was not necessary enough to keep afloat. And we did some things differently and designed it differently and manifested her vision. But for me, that sort of, whether it's a pastoral or a leadership thing of like, okay, again, here is your domain to grow into. How can I help? That's awesome. If you were to have to answer this question... I'm going to have to. I mean, I, that you're, they don't see it, but you're putting a gun to my head. So <laughs> I'm doing it. Which is more important to you, the customer or the employee? The employee. It's kind of crazy how quickly I answered that. It's something we've talked about a lot. When we lay down at night after a bad day, uh, a hard day, let's, let's say, we think, gosh, is this all worth it? The faces that come through our mind are our employees and not just our employees. You're maybe asking me to draw, you know, distinction. You know, I could ask, you, you know, which one of your kids is your favorite? And, you know, you would, uh, you know, not be happy with that either. But if you had to choose in that, it, it really is sort of our employees. And when the pandemic hit, we weren't as concerned. Oh, no, where are our customers going to get coffee from? It was how are employees going to pay their bills? And so we ended up proactively laying off all of our staff so that they would be eligible for unemployment insurance benefits, which at the time was probably the best way to be able to keep somebody's bills paid. And so 
if someone's preferences are revealed by their actions, the way that we have always acted is, has been kind of in our employees' best interests. But that doesn't mean that if an employee wants to have a certain type of experience at the expense of a customer that we say, ah, forget the customer, whatever you want. It's a relationship that has to support each other. But for us as managers and leaders and owners, we feel that we need to support our team so that they can support our customers. I think that old business adage, the customer is always right, has, Not some, true. <laughs> has some serious limitations to it. And as a leader, if you show your employees that the customer is always right and is the most important person, then there are going to be limitations in terms of what that employee is willing to do for you yeah, and do yeah. for the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me what you're most proud of as a leader. Immediately what comes to mind are the people, the people that have developed. We've got an operations team right now that is three strong, in addition to my wife and I. Like I said, all all of those people are folks that had started with us as, you know, frontline members of the crew, baristas, and had shown leadership potential and had not just shown potential, but then actually actualize it in so many different ways. And so as we've increased the amount of responsibility that we've given them and the domains that we make them responsible for and seeing them rise to the occasion on that, that's what I'm most proud of. And it goes beyond them to uh, some of our managers and even employees that sort of stay just in terms of taking care of our customers. But it's really just seeing people develop. That's, That's what I'm most proud of. What are you excited about in the community right now? Maybe that you're involved with or that you're observing? I think it's a sense that people are able to bring forth what they believe in. If that's a business idea, if that's a political idea, just that people feel empowered to grow in in what they believe in. So that that's what comes to mind for me in terms of the community. It's not really like an initiative or some sort of program, but it's 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 people. It's 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 individuals who have a dream, and they're optimistic about it, and they're willing to work towards. Yeah, it. the the willing part I think is yeah, optimistic and willing to work towards it, right? Because we've all you know seen dreamers or, or been dreamers at different different points in our lives, and so those who are willing to manifest it by virtue of their effort. That's that's what sort of gets me excited. And so if our community can be known as a place where people are pursuing their dreams, I mean, what better uh, slogan or tagline or identity, you know, could you want for a community and to raise a family? Yeah. Evansville, a place where kids realize their dreams. There's something that I've seen in some companies now called a, I think they call it a dream maker. Mm. And they, like, it's an actual position where they will work with their employees to help them achieve their dreams, whether it's like helping them lose weight or go back to school or do something different, pay off debt. And I think it's kind of a cool concept to think about, like, in terms of powering people to achieve their dreams. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, I had not heard of that. I think that's great because it, it shows that before that step of being a dream maker, that this company has considered that their employees have dreams 
and they might not always be aligned with the the bottom line of the company, which would maybe be implicit in their job description and, and their roles for the company. So the fact that they're thinking outside of the box on that is that's really encouraging. I'm, I'm glad you shared that with me. It's a pretty neat idea. Tell us how we can find uh, Honeymoon or learn more about Zach Parsons. Sure. Well, honeymooncoffeeco.com is our website. We're on Facebook and Instagram. I, I have been told that we have a TikTok as well. That's another one of those areas where we've empowered somebody to uh, take, take charge, and they've been doing a, a great job on that. And uh, I've got my own website, ZachParsons.com. I don't do much there. There might be some cool pictures of me maybe doing some speaking or facilitating in, in the past. But these days, most of my time is, is spent trying to support the team at Honeymoon. But those would be the two places to, to find us on, on the old interwebs. Well, thank you, Zach, for sharing with us and telling us about your thoughts on leadership and telling us about your business strategy. It's been great talking with you today. Yeah, and and I'm very excited for you and the development and the future of this podcast. I'm excited to see how it grows. Thank you very much. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.